this week, we're talking about intimacy. Our passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 13 through chapter 7, verse 5. Now, in all of my years of being a pastor, you know, you end up doing a lot of marriage counseling, helping couples that are going through crisis. Um, and a lot of the things that we've talked about so far kind of tie back into those experiences. I mean, we talked the first week about communication because it's probably the number one area where, where couples struggle in trying to figure out how to do it. And we looked at the importance of doing it with integrity, of doing it with intentionality, of doing it with inspiration, speaking words of life. Then we talked about money because money is like the number one reason that leads couples to divorce. And though it's so divisive, I believe when you get to a shared vision, a shared idea of what the future looks like, a shared plan, it actually can be one of the most uniting things that there is. And so that's an important piece. Last week we talked about kids, we talked about in-laws, outlaws, all that type of thing. Today, intimacy. And what I have found were the other three tend to be significant issues uh, that create problems. What I have found is that the intimacy part isn't so much usually the driving issue as much as it is it's a symptom. Maybe a better way I could put it is um, uh, it's, it's like the barometer of the marriage. And when the barometer goes low, you know there's a storm someplace, right? You may not know how it's going to hit and how it's going to play, but you know something isn't right. And what I found is that typically in a marriage, when things aren't going well in this area of intimacy, there's usually other problems out and around that this is kind of that warning bell. We need to deal with that because if we don't and intimacy continues to be a problem, it will become a real factor in your marriage. It'll become a point of dissatisfaction. It will become a point of looking outside of what God has designed. And it's because of the way God made it, it, will, it can crush the heart and the spirit of a marriage. So it's really important. So I want to read the passage. Uh, we'll start in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, verse 13, read through chapter 7, verse 5. Food is for the stomach. And the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So, shall I take away the member of Christ and make it a member of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is committed, is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your spirit. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, 
It is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, Paul begins, and back in the the, the part that we read in chapter 6, and he goes back to the idea of creation to look at God's plan and God's design for sexual intimacy. And here's the thing. It is God's design. Yes, God designed sex. There's a whole lot of people, at least in our society, who think that that's not the case, that God doesn't like sex, it's, it's kind of against him, that, you know, in fact, there's a theology out there, and I'm not exactly sure where it comes from, but uh, I've got an idea that there's a, a certain church that pushes this, is that when you read in Genesis chapter 3 about the about the fruit of the tree that they ate, that's not what really happened. What really happened is that Adam and Eve went behind the tree and found really strange things to do with their body, and that's what God was upset about. And nothing could be further from the truth. God made us with our specific sexuality. So our XX and XY chromosomes, God did that. God made us with our specific sex organs, right? It was his design. In fact, the, the reality is, is that sexual intimacy, God gave to us as the covenant sign for marriage. And oh, by the way, he did this not after the fall, but back before there was sin. This was his design. When God says everything is very good, he's told them be fruitful and multiply. And by the way, before, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, and they did funny things in Petri dishes, it was the only way to be fruitful and multiply. Why? God said it's all very good. It is his design because it's the covenant sign. You say, well, covenant sign. Yeah, we, we struggle with this because when we, you know, today when you make a covenant with somebody, basically you're signing a piece of paper, right? I'm buying a house. I'm buying a car. I'm taking on a mortgage, whatever it is. It's, it's a signature. Well, it wasn't that way. Back in those days, they, they, had, they had things that they did. For instance, um, remember when God made the covenant with Abraham? That I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a great person, a great nation and all this. What he told Abraham to do was to take animals, and it was a covenant piece that happened in their society. And they took these animals, and they cut them in two and they laid them on the side and in in their society what they would do two men who are making an agreement a covenant would lock arms and walk through those dead animals 
And the idea would be, if I don't keep my part of the bargain, may God do to me what we did to those animals. It was a covenant relationship. Remember when Noah comes out of the ark, and God is now going to make a covenant with Noah that he will never destroy the world again by a flood. What does he do? He puts a a rainbow in the sky, right? So you're under the protection of the rainbow. It's, it's the picture of the covenant. Well, here's the relationship. For this reason, a man leaves his father and his mother, right? We talked last week. That was just, when Moses read that to the children of Israel, that was so countercultural. Because men didn't leave their moms and dads. They took over the business. They supported their moms and dads. For this reason, a man leaves his father and his mother. He is joined to his wife. They become one flesh. This becomes the primary relationship. This is God bringing Eve to Adam. And they are going to become one. And the sign of the covenant is sexual intimacy. It is the joining together of a man and a woman that pictures what God has done when a man and a woman come together for one lifetime. It's the picture. It's the covenant. This is why in in Genesis 2.25 it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. The fact that they are fully known, fully revealed, and yet fully loved. That is the picture of marriage. And the sign... The covenant is is intimacy. That's why sometimes people get this idea that God doesn't like sex. No, he likes sex. He designed it as part of his, but it's very specific. It is the sign of the covenant of marriage. When we also think about God's design, not only is it the covenant sign, but one of the things you've got to understand is that he designed it to bring pleasure, right? There's no way you can understand the anatomy of how a, a, a body works, uh, where God put nerve endings, how he wired it to our brain without understanding that God designed this to not be a chore, but to be pleasant. In fact, you, again, you look at scripture, uh, Proverbs 5, in fact, Proverbs 5, 18, he's talking about how, you know, he's, he's warning them about staying away from, from the, uh, the, the prostitute, right? Delight in the, in the wife of your youth. And he says this, as a loving hind and as graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. It is to bring pleasure. In the Song of Solomon, the, the, the bride says this, his mouth is full of sweetness and he is wholly desirable. This is my beloved, this is my friend, O daughter of Jerusalem. God designed this for pleasure. He designed it in the, in, the, in the context of a one man, one woman coming together for one lifetime to not only be the sign of the covenant, but to be something that would bring them both great pleasure. The third thing that we see about is God's design is that intimacy was designed to make babies. Have you ever stopped and thought about how God could have designed making babies? I mean, seriously. What if, uh, I don't know, 
what if we just cut off some skin and planted it in the dirt, right? Could have worked that way. What if God had just put a button, right? And so, you know, I got a button on our knee. There's no pleasure. There's no joy. We just touch knees. We want to have a baby. That begins the process. I could have done it that way, right? No. His design was this. He knew raising kids was going to be tough. The best way it happens is with two and a team. We talked about that last week. For those of you that are single and raising kids, you know how difficult it is. So as a man and woman come together in marriage, they leave, they cleave. Now in the intimacy of that marriage, they join together as one flesh and out of that becomes the baby, right? Half the DNA of the dad, half the DNA of the mom, and this wonderful little creation of which God, God has brought together. That was God's design. And so therefore, you've got to understand that if God designed intimacy to work like this, this is important to a healthy marriage. If, if I'm going to experience, and my marriage is going to experience all that God has in the covenant of marriage, right? The covenant sign, it's got to have an important part. And the reason is, is that it nurtures oneness. As I said, best I could, I can explain it, what I've, what I've seen in most couples is that if they're having issues and there's, there's issues in the intimacy, it usually is pointing to something out here. Why? Because if you're being a jerk of a husband, intimacy might be hard. She may not be excited about that, right? We're not communicating. We're not on the same page. Intimacy becomes hard. It points that there's issues out here. Well, this then drives us to have these conversations, right? And to be able to, how do we love? How do we nurture? How do we build this? That's why, you know, if you want to have a strong marriage, you can maybe argue, is it the chicken or the egg? But one of the ways is you will focus on this because it will bring up discussions in other areas that will help you be more one which will lead to a deeper oneness that shows itself in intimacy. Now, I don't know if you picked up. I know some of you did. But we read two of the most countercultural verses in the entire Bible. If you didn't pick it up, I'm going to go back and read it again because it will grate on you. Verse 3 of chapter 7, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife. Now, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? And likewise, also the wife to her husband. Well, that, means, that means there's some responsibility there. We don't like that. And then he gets worse. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that grated on you when I read it. But in our culture, that is extremely incorrect talk. Now, what's really funny is everybody jumps on that, and yet they miss the rest of the verse, which is not only being cross-cultural from right today, but 
like for the last 6,000 years. So let's read that part where he goes cross-cultural. And that is, and likewise, her husband does not have authority over his own body, but his wife does. Really? Yes. You see, what God designed is in coming together as one, right? So he leaves his father's mother. He's joined to his wife. They become one flesh. That I now have both a responsibility and the privilege of ministering and serving my wife. You see, what our culture has done is, is intimacy, sex, comes all about us. My fantasies, what I want, my pleasure, right? The, the, the whole porn piece is about, hey, how, how it can minister and, and make me happy. By the way, did you notice the two words he used back in chapter 6? He used the word, yet the body's not for immorality. Verse 18, flee immorality. Do you know what the Greek word for that is? Pornia. And yet our whole culture is about, hey, you, you got to be responsible for yourself. This is about you. And it's made us so selfish and about us. And God says, no, that was never the intention. This is the sign of the covenant of marriage. You have left. You now cleave. You become one. The sign of that is sexual intimacy. It is how you serve your spouse. It is how you, you love them well. And, and, and you think about it, that for me, now, many of you know, Tammy is the social butterfly of our relationship, right? I bring the introvert, she brings the extrovert. She has lots of friends. Uh, and she, those, those friends minister to her. They, they encourage her. She's got a group of friends. In fact, they're, they're actually coming to the next service. I mean, a number of them were in our wedding, right? She went to high school with these people. We've been married for over 32 years. They decide to come to Sunday and preach on intimacy. There you go. And then they're coming over to the house for, 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 for dinner. But anyway, that's it. That's it. And her friends, and a number of you are friends, and she goes out for those, you know, those coffees, which for me are about 30 to 45 minutes tops. And four hours later, I'm calling her, where are you? I'm still at coffee, right? And you minister to her, and you serve her, and you encourage her, and you build her up. And, and she does the same for you, and that's great. That's the way it is. But I alone have the responsibility and the privilege to minister to this aspect of her life. And she alone has the privilege and the responsibility to minister to this aspect of my life. It is the sign of the covenant of marriage. And that's the way God designed it. So my body doesn't belong to me, it belongs to her. Her body doesn't belong to her, it belongs to me. That, that is the beauty, the selflessness that God designed. And I tell you what, you, you want to talk about changing the way we think. 
that this isn't about me and what I want. And, and you, you get to this point of people are so discontent, but they're buying into this world thing that it's all about me, it's all about me, instead of learning that you are serving your spouse. And you have the privilege, and you alone. There's another thing he talks about the importance here in verse 5. So he says, stop depriving one another. By the way, it ought to be a part of your marriage. And every once in a while, I'll run into people that are married, and, and there is no intimacy. And, and, you know, maybe there's a physical reason or whatever, but... but but man, if there's not, then be honest with you, you're walking in sin. It is the covenant sign of marriage. And his whole point here is start, stop depriving one another except by agreement, right? It's a mutual thing for a short time. So you can devote yourselves to prayer and then come together. Why? So the same won't tempt you. You go back to the whole pleasure piece. You know, most of us, Satan has never tempted us to really want to go have a root canal. Because it's not pleasurable. What he tempts us with is what is pleasurable. And so one of the things is that as we express and we love and we serve and we minister to our spouse, that that is a piece that keeps us from temptation. And it helps protect our heart. And it is a piece of marriage that has got to grow and become richer. Just like everything else. You see, here's the thing. We talked about it in the first week, right? Being intentional. Being intentional. You, you, you've got to grow. And I, I, love, I love doing weddings. I love, a, you know, sitting down with the couple that's going to get married. And it's always so fun trying to do premarital counseling because they're sitting there with their big puppy dog eyes, right? They're just so in love. And so try to encourage them, think about, you know, here's some things that could be issues in marriage. And, you know, they're, they're always nodding their head, but their body language is going, not us, Steve. We are so in love, right? And you just bless them. That's great. And in our culture, we've made such a big thing about the wedding, you know, that the wedding's the big day, the wedding's the big day. But let's be honest, for those of us that have been married for a while, don't we understand that the best it gets is the day of your wedding, your marriage is in big trouble? I mean, 32 years ago, I stood there at the altar, and I loved her that day with all my heart. But I can tell you, I love her much deeper today. You know why? Because I know her better. I understand her better. I cherish her more. You grow in that knowledge. You grow in how to serve. You grow in a, of understanding and those things that, you know, early on becomes those irritants. You begin to cherish those things and think about, yeah, you know, this is great she's the social butterfly because I don't have to do it then, right? You just put her out there. It's, it's wonderful, right? You begin to cherish those things. Well, the same thing is true about this, about intimacy. That as we grow in our knowledge of each other and, and, and what pleases them and, and 
our love, that this is a part of our relationship that as we go on through the years ought to get deeper and richer. It's important. It's important. Now, of course, Paul is specifically dealing, though, because this is such an important area. It's so tied to our identity, right? God made us. He made us as male and female. He, he made us the way that we are. It's so tied to who we are that there is extreme danger when you and I walk out of God's counsel here. We walk outside of the guardrails that God has sent. And we see that in our culture. Our culture has been distorted. You know, the beauty of what God designed about becoming one flesh and within this confines of one man, one woman together for one lifetime. And, and simply what it does now is it's just, it's, it's the pursuit, right? It's, it's about the conquest. It's, it's about the experience. It's about me. And we have cheapened it. And here's the thing that most don't want to talk about is that sexual sin comes with a higher consequence because it's tied to who we are, our identity, our soul. Did you see what he said in verse 18 of chapter 6? Flee immorality. Every, one, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body because his sexuality is tied up in who God made him to be. And so what happens when we don't do it God's way Right? So this whole idea that they were both naked and not ashamed. So, so that God in marriage has brought us that we can be fully known, fully revealed, fully loved. Now we go from one to another and we join together physically in intimacy, but our hearts aren't there. So now to protect ourselves, we got to begin to put up walls. we got to become distant. So often there's a loss because we think this is going to be the one and then all of a sudden something happens and it's not going to be and we gave a piece away. And that's why there's awesome, you know, when you get into sexual sin, people into porn and all of this, there's such depression because there's high, high consequence to sexual sin. Now, I want to talk a moment to those of you that are married or are not married. You're single, right? You've been listening to this and go, man, I wish, right? Or some of you maybe have been there and go, I'm kind of glad no, right? Well, here's the thing. The greatest gift that you would have to give if God were to bring somebody into your life, I believe, is this idea of the uniqueness of oneness with them. That in the midst of our culture, which kind of says anything go, you got to be happy, worry about yourself. You said, no, 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 I'm thinking about somebody I may not even know yet. And so I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk in celibacy. I, I'm going to have relationships, but we're not going to have intimacy because that's a sign of the covenant of marriage. And on that day, if and when God brings that person to your life, what a, what a commitment, what a gift that you're giving, the trust that that builds is just absolutely incredible. But you're going, you're saying, but Steve, that's not fair, right? Because I also, I also have these, you know, sexual feelings and, and desires and all that. And, and what you've got to understand is, you know, life, life is often a series of trade-offs, and you go, well, how's it a trade-off? Well, think about it. You as a single person have way more freedoms than I do. 
I mean, we've talked about uh, we've talked about a shared future, right? You, you can you can just up and go and do what you want. I can't. You can actually choose to be on time. I can't. <laughs> you, you can decide how you want to spend your money. I can't, right? There are restrictions. So when I came into marriage, it was that we are going to do this together, right? So now it's all of a sudden we have to work towards consensus. We have to work towards compromise, right? You have freedoms that I and other married people don't have. But God, because he loves you, say, but this is the restriction on this. You are complete in me. You don't need this. This is where you protect your heart. Because intimacy is the covenant sign for marriage. And that's the only place that God has designed it to be done. Because if not, it begins to eat away your soul. And I would argue to those of you that are married, you're restricted too. You're restricted that all of your energy, your sexual energy, and your focus is on serving the needs of your spouse. That's what God designed. It's not about me. This is, this is why porn is never okay because that, again it just gets it down to a biological act it's just about me no but I'm taking this energy and I'm taking this thought and I'm taking all of this and I'm not focusing that at the one whom God has given me the privilege and the responsibility to serve that's why it blows up marriages so often so let's uh, let's just move on to this last piece here um, because the reality is if you and I were to sit and have a discussion or if we were to have time this morning to, to talk and we were all to be honest, which we wouldn't be. But the reality is probably most of us that are here today have messed up someplace here. Right? We, we, we've not held it within this frameworks that God has told us. We, we, we've not seen it as our mission. We've been selfish. Maybe it's into porn. Maybe it was, you know, even together before we got married, right? So here's the thing. I just want to remind you that none of us can go back and change yesterday. So no matter how much regret, how much remorse, yesterday is yesterday. And you can't fix it, but you can deal with it. And biblically, when you deal with something, the first thing you deal with it with is with God, right? And, and, and so we, the, the, the biblical word is repent. It means to change mind. So I agree with God that what I did was sin, right? And then to confess. And then we have his promise that we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us. And then once we dealt with it with God, we kind of go deal with it with, with others. And maybe, maybe it's a spouse who, maybe it's one of those secrets that we talked about that they don't know. And you go have those hard conversations. But, but you deal with it and then you leave it and you now stand in your identity in Christ. Which, by the way, is one of the coolest things about, about knowing Jesus. Right? Jesus came to die to forgive us of our sin. 
And the moment that we, we come to put our faith, our trust in him, our sin is taken from us, is cast into the depths of the sea, right? He tells us our sin and our iniquity, he will remember no more. And so we stand in that identity that, that I'm a child of God and I have been forgiven and I'm a new person in Christ and I'm not the person I was. But today I am going to do what he's called me to do and I'm going to be the husband or be the wife or I'm going to be the single person and I'm going to walk within the way God has called me to walk. That's why I started this whole series and I want to end this series with this. The most important relationship in your life is not your relationship with your spouse. Your most important relationship is with God. He loves you. He cares for you. He came and died for you. He offers you eternal life. He offers you forgiveness if you will simply invite him to be your savior. You put your trust in him alone. He'll give you eternal life. He'll forgive you. Man, this is where all of this starts. So you stand in your identity in Christ. Then you talk with your spouse. You see, what happens so often is we go into marriage and we have expectations. We have a sense of how this is going to play. And yet so often those expectations aren't expressed. And so really when you don't express expectations you know what you're doing you're setting your your made up to fail and oh by the way they probably have some ex expectations about you that you don't know and you kind of wonder why are they mad at you wouldn't you rather know so that maybe you could try to meet those expectations so one of the things I always do with a, with a couple that's getting married, because sometimes this is a hard thing to talk about, especially ones that grow up in Christian circles and they've kept themselves pure. So how do we now start talking about this intimacy piece? So a book, there's a lot of good books out there. The one I highly recommend is uh, called Intended for Pleasures, written by uh, Dr. Uh, Ed Wheat. He's a medical doctor. He's a Christian. But here's what you do. The, the book, you know, especially you've been married for 30 years, you're probably not going to learn any of the mechanic pieces or anything like that. But what it does is it gives you the ability, it becomes a springboard as you read it together. Not one of you read it, then the other one reads it, but we actually sit down and read it together. It becomes the springboard for the conversations about expectations and how are we doing and how can I, how can I serve you better and how can I meet your needs better and how what, what are the things that you like what are the things that you don't like but the communication piece why because God has called that within the design of marriage this is the covenant sign this is what demonstrates and it, it, it enhances our oneness and so we're going to grow in this area and so we're going to put the time to be intentional to have the conversations and to discuss you got to work at this area of your life. I, 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 we talked about being intentional, right? You get into the routines of life. You know, there's some routines in, in life and in marriage that are good. I mean, uh, this morning, because there are friends coming over, Tammy was actually up when I left for church this morning, which doesn't always happen. Uh, and so my routine when she's up, I always go find her and I give her a kiss, right? That's a nice routine. 
And it's good. And I enjoy it. I think she enjoys it. But it's a routine. But let's be honest. If that is the extent of my romance with her, that's going to play old pretty quickly, right? So it's not that you get rid of that, but you, you've got to have special times of romance. And, you know, you didn't know Valentine's Day is coming up, right? And you, you get those moments. You have those special dates. You, you spend that time together. Well, it's the same thing in the intimacy, right? There's sometimes in, in marriage, there's a, there's a routine in the intimacy that is good. You know, you're both tired, but you want to connect. That's great. But what happens in so many marriages is that becomes like the whole thing. And then kind of wonder why it goes sour. And, and so to be able to focus, and if you got kids, focus generally means doing something with the kids so they're not around. Because those little boogers know to knock on the door at the really worst time, right? And yet to put that focus on it, to be intentional about it, so that we are growing in intimacy, we're growing in oneness, we're growing in our ability to serve one another. And then for those of you that are single, folks, you got to set up guardrails. you got to set up guardrails. For whatever God has for you down the future, God knows his best for you today is that you live in celibacy. And it's hard. I get that. I've told you before, I was, uh, I, I was a virgin when, when Pam and I got married. And for four years, we were married. We, we lived, had a wonderful uh, relationship. She passes away. I'm 28 years old. And then I meet Tammy. This beautiful little dynamo, right? So... I used to think I knew what sexual pressure was, right? But I, I had never engaged in intimacy. So it was all new to me to my wedding night. I meet Tammy. This had been a part of my life. You want to talk about sexual pressure. I've never taken more cold showers in my life. It's hard. I get that. You know, Proverbs says a prudent man foresees evil and he hides himself. So we thought, man, I, I, we want to do this right. We want to honor the Lord. So let's get married quick. We set it for eight weeks. Right? I figured I could make it eight weeks. And then all of a sudden some things happened and we had to postpone it another six months. It was tough. It's hard. But you set guardrails to go. These are lines that we're not going to cross because, and now she knows how important this is to me as I knew it was to her because she, she too came into our marriage as a virgin. This is something that is just us. Set guardrails in your life. The enemy wants to trip you up. The enemy wants to destroy. Set guardrails in your life. He'll honor you. He'll honor you. Some of you are living together. You're not married. You need to do what's right. You need to get married or move apart. Do it God's way. It always works best.